When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Critics are saying the first 40 minutes of Pixar's new movie, Soul, packs an emotional punch. That's a shame because I avoid all types of punches. Physical, emotional, alcohol, the TV show Chips, Judy's Mate. My name is Justin Hamilton and this is a punch-free zone on Big Squid. show for you today starting with comedian Rachel Melanta checking in from Canada with her segment spin-off and then Ben Elwood and I continue our Christopher Nolan rewatch with Inception and just before I started recording this I had an idea on which director we could cover next and I haven't run it past Ben yet but if he's keen I'm super excited to dive into this person's work especially since I haven't seen all of their movies it means I'll come in fresh to this whole experience Who's the director? No, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to wait until it's later down the track. And also, I reckon I should probably tell Ben first in case he has a visceral reaction to my suggestion. You never know. This might be a great idea from my side of things, and I might mention it to him, and he might be like, I have hated every one of that person's movies. But I don't think that will happen, but you never know. So I'll run it past Ben, and then maybe we'll let you know in a few weeks' time. Uh, I've just finished my four-week contract producing at uh, at a TV show, so I'm going to be lurking around at our Facebook pages some more. So if you'd like to be in contact, you can either join our Open to the Public Facebook page or you can just join our private page where we discuss all sorts of things. It's a nice little group of people, uh, very interesting and lots of good thoughts going on. 
Like for, I've actually learnt stuff from this group of people pointing out things in movies and TV shows and books that I've loved for ages, and I'm always excited to learn something new. So if you enjoy that, and you've, especially if you've got your own information that you want to share with us, please come and join in. If you're enjoying our podcast, please leave us a positive review on whichever platforms you use, and also please pass us on to like-minded individuals who might enjoy Big Squid. You know the types. They value creativity and love to dig into all manner of arts and entertainment. People like you. We want more of you. More of you is good. Less of all those other people. Thank you very much. (laughs) This is a long podcast, so let's get into it. We'll start with Rachel, and then we'll bring Ben in. And then I'll pop in at the end. Just a second. birthday yesterday happy birthday thank you how is it to be 22 22 again yes um, I'm going to be 22 every year from now on um it's great um, I feel wiser than 22 somehow I don't know how though <laughs> what would be the age that you would be if you could be for however long you wanted to be do you have an age that you look back at and think oh I really wish oh, I was it that be one 22 22 is too young like I think 24, 25, maybe. I feel like you're still young enough that you're like going out and enjoying drinking and clubbing and stuff, but you're not a complete idiot anymore. Right. I reckon mine might be 34. 35. I haven't hit 34. So. <laughs> I'm giving you some information from the future. 34 yeah. is pretty good. 35. Well, being being just 22, I wouldn't know. You've, you know? you've got 13 years before you get to that point. Yeah. <laughs> and did you did you get to do anything for your birthday? Is this your first birthday abroad? Yeah, it is. Um, I got here in November last year. So this is my first and possibly only Canadian birthday. And I didn't really get to do anything. Um, I went out to dinner um, with just a couple of people, but we're pretty much back in lockdown now. Like, well, as of, as of today, like yesterday was my birthday. Today, we're properly in lockdown. I got announced yesterday. So as of midnight and no more indoor dining, cinemas and gyms and all are closed again. Okay. Yeah, we're back. Uh, so what are the cases back up to? And where were you before this new lockdown? Well, we were doing really well in Ontario. I'm talking Ontario numbers because um, I'm in Toronto. And Ontario numbers, we got down I be- like well under 100 a day. We were doing really well. And um, then now I think we're up around, like, I think we had a few days where we were over a thousand. It happened really quickly. Like it seemed to have happened 300 and everyone's like, oh, well, we're going into winter and the schools have reopened. And then it was like 600, like the next day, you know, like it seemed to really happen in the space of like a week. We kind of, everything went to shit real quick. And so now everything's locking down again. Um, Toronto, Peel, and somewhere else is, uh, we've locked down. There's like specific regions. They haven't locked down the entirety of Ontario. But I also know that Quebec and Montreal, that area, they've um, locked down already. Okay. Um, they locked down, I think, a week and a half ago, something like that. Um, so it's, yeah, but we are going into winter. Like we're in fall at the moment and the weather's definitely cooling off. So I think, yeah, it's going to be... Yeah, interesting for a bit. That's a good warning, I think, for Australians because we're going into summer and I feel like things are... Like, we haven't got a vaccine yet. Like, things are good here mm. and, like, the numbers in Victoria have been dropping. And But, you know, you're just starting to see a, a few little pockets 
like tiny numbers, like 12, 14, that kind of thing. But you're just starting to see it kind of creep up again. And I'm a bit worried because I went out and about, you know, just even shopping yesterday. And I was like, oh, there are heaps of people. People aren't like they're just before people were sanitizing and wiping down their baskets before they did shopping. Then yesterday, everyone in front of me was just like, pick, 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 you know. Yeah, there seems to be that kind of, we have mandatory masks here, um, but it definitely seems like there, there was complacency, like it sets in, and which is sort of natural. Like I think it is like that panic will wear off like with anything, but at the same time, I think we need to stay vigilant with it. But it's uh, like, we don't have a vaccine yet. And we might not, like, I mean, sure. Like, I mean, I hope, and we probably will find a vaccine, but at the same time, like everyone seems to be putting a timing on this. Like we, we might not find one, like, you know, like this, it's not a guaranteed thing and it might not be in the next six months, you know? And then once we do find it, the distribution and everything, it's not going to be an overnight job. So I think we have to kind of get used to certain standards to a certain point at least though I, I i don't know it's a i think it's a damned if you do damned if you don't with the like economy to a large extent but it, it's hard but now we're kind of all locking down again but going into winter it'll be like I, I don't know <laughs> it's gonna be weird it's definitely gonna be weird what a at least you got to go out for your birthday i guess like was that the day before was that it was that literally the day before lockdown yeah Wow. Yeah, literally yesterday. So I went out to dinner just with um, these people who I like met when I first moved over here. It was just two people. So um, everyone's sort of staying very close, but there's actually been like an outbreak in the comedy community of COVID. So a lot of my comedy friends, like we're not seeing, everyone's very, very distanced at the moment. Um, yeah, this, I think there's like 10 or 11 comics now with COVID. Um, no one's severely ill. Yeah. Um, and everyone, I believe like under 30, like they're young. Um, but yeah, it's a warning. I believe there is, there's a lot of rumor discussing whether masks were being worn and things, whether there might've been some complacency amongst, but, uh, either way, quite frankly, um, like I wish everyone well, I hope, but I think everyone's like relatively okay. But the point is that like, it does spread quickly. Yeah. Like it really just takes. And these little clusters kind of pop up everywhere. And that seems to be what's happening. So we're all kind of separating. That's really weird to consider that there might be complacency in the comedy community. Oh, hang on a sec. <laughs> that is all comedians. <laughs> we are a notoriously like great bunch. <laughs> there will be a small uh, group of comedians, not many, but a small group of comedians who will be so jealous of the comedians that have COVID because they'll be like, no. Now they get to talk about it. There's, there's actually was a comic here who was accused of lying about having COVID. And it's like, I don't know whether he was lying or not, but also I'm like, it just, what a weird flex. You know? I would believe someone just being an arsehole claiming that they were pretending that they had it. I could imagine that someone was pretending that they had it. I could imagine someone having it and not wanting to talk about it and then, others leaning into it someone will be really funny about having covid and in two years time you'll be like fuck man get some new material like everyone's had covid now there will definitely be one guy who like talks about that will be like his main like his showcase set like he'll hit a real funny one-liner and it will be his showcase set for the next like five years definitely get yeah but also i reckon we're gonna have a lot of i reckon next year's like comedy festival run like 
there will be so many puns on the phrase social distancing in titles of shows, like pandemic, social distancing, although those will be so many fringe shows about their unique quarantine experience. There'll be some shit pun comedian who won't even make that much of an effort and call his show Pundemic. And <laughs> like, that's how, that's how awful that act will be. <laughs> you didn't even really work that hard to make a pun, you piece of shit. Exactly. <laughs> anti-social distancing that'll be uh the name of a show anti-social distancing there will definitely be a show called that a hundred percent there is no way that won't go up is there a type of show that you ever fantasize about doing that's just not in your wheelhouse and you it's kind of like your least favorite but you kind of fantasize about yeah, imagine doing that show. Um, like as in I admire people who do it or I go, oh, Jesus. Oh, like either or. I have always wanted to do a solo sketch show, but it's not my it's not my forte. I am a far, like that is the one thing I've always, every time I see somebody do um, like, like, um, like Steen Raskopoulos kind of stuff, you know, that kind of vibe. I always think that's incredible, but that's not my wheelhouse. Um, the one that I always go, I always like sort of go, I wish I could do well, but I just never see it done particularly well are people who show up at festivals and do full crowd work shows. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's always a basket. (laughs) Yeah. But I would love to be able to do that. Like those people who can do that crowd work and sustain it for an hour, but there are very few people who can do it. I've like, I've, I've seen some people do it well, but like, I mean, it's rare that people do that well. There's the ones that are really good at it. And then there's everyone yeah. else. And yes. I've, I've seen, you would have had this, the MC who decides to talk to every motherfucker in the audience <laughs> and doesn't get anything yeah. out of any of them. So by the time you yeah. get on stage, Everybody knows everybody. Nobody is interesting. And the night has gone way too long. And now you have to do some jokes. I did a gig on the Central Coast. This would be a year and a half ago, probably. And the MC, she did about 15 to 20 minutes in between every act. And like you at some point you've just got to accept this crowd does not want to talk to you. They do not want to, like, they're not going to give you anything. And it was, it was a long night, but I'm not particularly like, I don't consider myself an expert at crowd work by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not, but I would love that to be, I think those people who can, yeah, I don't know. Like just, I, I think it is a certain improv skill, that riffing skill. Um, but I just think it can go so wrong. And I feel like there is definitely a breed of comedian who thinks it's an easy option. It's like, well, I don't have to write an hour's worth of material. <laughs> it's like, Ugh. No, you you still need <laughs> jokes. It's like, a, like I opened for Ross Noble many years ago. I was one of his dancing puppets uh, in his <laughs> Melbourne run. Mickey D and I, we were the two dancing puppets that would come out. <laughs> but what was good about that was it meant I got to sort of hang out and watch Ross's process uh, up close. Yeah. And that, that guy, he does lots of riding. Like he does lots and lots and lots of riding. And if you watch yeah. him on stage, essentially what he's doing is writing material but he's doing it in front of an audience. So, if so, you know, you and I have an idea and we think, okay, I'm going to tell a story about school. What are 20, 
things about school, teachers, students, lessons, and then you explore each idea and then you add it to the framework of a story that you want to tell and that's how you end up with Mm. a routine. And that's what Ross does on stage. He keeps talking and talking Mm. and talking and riffing and riffing and riffing and then he gets to a cul-de-sac and he says, oh, yeah, okay, enough of that. And then he goes back into (laughs) the point that he was at before or he starts a new riff and that's... Like to be able to do that on stage is brilliant, but but to see someone who doesn't know how to do it, who keeps doing it, that is soul destroying. And especially if someone is doing twenty to thirty minutes between, like when Ross used to do Sunday afternoon shows in Melbourne, he used to do a lot between all the acts. And I'm not even saying this is a joke. I did his Sunday show once and got on Monday, and that's not a joke. It literally was twenty past twelve a.m when I got on stage and the show had started at 7 p.m. And the only reason I got on was because I crept up behind Ross and hid behind the curtain in front of the audience so they could see that I was ready to get on while he was going, ooh, look at this. It's it's a cucumber. Someone's brought a cucumber. Here's 40 minutes of cucumber gold. But that was fun because it's Ross. And when it's someone who's yeah. not good. Well, if they, can, if they can maintain it, it's fine. But I do feel like there's also a certain level of... um. Like you were saying, he writes and he writes and he writes. There is a certain element of a lot of it is like pre-written in inverted commas and it's making it look improvised as well. You know, there's a certain amount, like I feel like I've definitely seen comics say they're going to do improvised stand-up and get up with nada, like absolutely nothing. And it goes poorly, you know, but I really like that would be a kind of show I would love to be able to put up. Oh, yeah. But. Yeah. You always see the panic in their eyes. I'm going to I'm just going to riff. Hey, what's your name? Jeff, that's a nice name. And who's this? It's my wife. That's nice. And uh, what do you do? I'm an engineer. <laughs> oh, you're an engineer. That's good. And how long have you guys known each other? Oh, yeah, 20 years. And you're like, mate, these are just questions. <laughs> this is just facts about the person in the front row. <laughs> Give me one joke. Give me one joke. I, I think I would like to do, there's a part of me that would like to do a Sam Simmons type of show. Mm-hmm. Lots of non sequiturs that hang loosely off a framework that takes people by surprise. That's a, I think my structure would be a little bit more obvious because I'm really into that kind of thing. But I'd be quite happy to do a whole show. But yeah, no, that'd be, I, I reckon you could do that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I could. <laughs> Puts on some gloves, there's, there's fish on the fingers five minutes of a song called look at me i'm wearing fish fingers anyway sam if sam heard this he'd get so angry at me because he <laughs> he always says you everyone thinks it's easy cheese monkey pizza cheese monkey pizza I was, ah, that <laughs> does sound pretty funny sam and uh, so have you been able to gig much or has has gigging slowed down now oh it's pretty much come to a like screeching halt now but um well, i've had like maybe one a week two a week the last couple of weeks um that's good like is that good yeah it's been good at the moment because of like just the um like the nature of gigging right now um it's honestly i've been like it's been a great opportunity to try out new material it's been a great opportunity to really start workshopping some stuff that i've written so it's been really really nice to be able to get up and do like 20 25 minutes of all brand new stuff you know and really just start to because I feel like at the moment there's no real point in getting up and doing your like greatest hit showcase. Cause like, what are you getting out of it at this point? You know? So it feels like, I mean, at this time, rather than complain about the standard of gigs, why not use it for something positive? So I'm trying to use them for that kind of 
thing and to work out that kind of new material. And it's been going really well. So, I mean, like I'm getting something out of it, but it's, I think for a while now, I think I performed on Thursday night. It's now Saturday. And, um, it's yeah. So I, and I honestly think that might be my last one for a while now that we've hit lockdown again. So, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, frustrating. That's good that you're, uh, applying yourself with material that way. Back, back when we could all like Louis CK, he used to say that your does, <laughs> and this is actually good advice. Your desire to kill on a Monday stops you from being able to kill on a Saturday. And it's because mm. Monday you should be working on your material so you can really hit it hard. But if you're always doing the greatest hits to a small audience, all you're doing is diluting exactly. that work. Oh, you see, and I do, you do see um, comedians too, like who have been doing the same 10 minutes for the better part of five, six years. Like there's got to be like some, some jokes that come back and like, you will have some jokes that will always be like killer closes if required. But like, I mean, there's got to be a certain turnover level, you know, like I think there's, Certain comedians who, like, you, like, I can do their entire set. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, I've heard it that many times I could recite it to you. You know, it'd be, and I just think, me personally, I don't think I ever want anyone to be able to say that. You know, I get to. I'm fascinated by the comedian who doesn't drop the routine that doesn't work that well. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious to me. <laughs> I can understand if someone thinks, oh, I reckon there's something in this and I just haven't worked it out yet. Yeah, but when it is beat for beat, word for word, and it's getting the same beige response. And you're thinking, mate, like I would be... Change it or kill it. Right, absolutely (laughs) kill it. Just kill it. Put it down, harvest its words for another joke's body, you know? And there's got to be, like, and everyone has that joke too. Like, everyone has that joke that they really, really wanted to work and it's just never going to work. I've got an example of that. My friend uh, married this beautiful uh, African woman and uh, she uh, I forget uh, whereabouts in Africa she was from but uh, so my friend is you know like a Adelaide you know white guy marries this beautiful uh, African woman goes to her uh, meet her family and as part of their tradition he had to kill a goat he had to kill a goat and present it to the father and he was telling me this and I was like, oh, shit, you know, that is so <laughs> full on. And so I t- initially told this routine about if I was in the reverse situation, like I'd I'd fail. Like they'd be like, did you kill the goat? And I'd be like, no, but I've taught it how to make this risotto and it would come out <laughs> pushing a risotto, right? And I worked on that routine for, I reckon I worked on it for a solid six to eight months, a few weeks here, a few weeks there in open mic rooms. And the problem appeared to be that people, this was just at the start of this new different type of political correctness where it was like, are you being racist? It's like, no. And people couldn't work out if you were like making fun of the cultural tradition or whether you I'm making fun of myself because I can't, herd animals <laughs> so if, even if I love this person I'd have to try and find some way around this you know and and then so at first it was like oh I think that's what's going on and then and then I'd try to address the potential cultural insensitivity and then I'd try to come at it from another angle and then eventually it was like thank you for trying words go and be free <laughs> you you did your best 
and we never quite got there. But it always, it's it, I, even now speaking to you, I still think I still think there's something there. I just I just never look. If anyone's listening, says hey, have you thought about this? And that's how I fucking unlock that idea. I will take it on board. But I just could never. Never quite make it work. Never quite get there. Yeah, funny, right? Like, just funny that you just know. You can see it. You can see... If there's something there. Like, that's, I have this, like, story from... And it was because my last show that I took to Melbourne, I, like, it was predominantly kind of about bad housemates I'd had. Like, that was sort of one of the running things. And it was sort of stories about bad housemates. And they were predominantly true. Like, a lot of them were, like, a lot of, like there were a lot of people who did one crazy thing and I made it one person who did a lot of crazy things. Do you know what I mean? Like, but generally speaking, it was all very accurate. You have three great nights out and they're all similar. So you just jam them into one because it's, it's easier for the audience to keep up. Otherwise they just think, fuck, he's out fucking partying all the time. What's he doing? <laughs> well, I had a story of, and this is a case of like truth though is stranger than fiction. And this story is so ridiculous that the genuine problem was, and I couldn't work out why it wasn't going well. And it was because no one believed me. And it's a hundred percent true. And it was so ridiculous. And it was that I had a housemate and it was my first housemate when I moved out of home and I lived in Darlinghurst. And she was one of the strangest human beings I've ever met in my life. And one day we had like joining rooms and we lived in this old dilapidated terrace house. And one day I'm at home and she was out with her friends and um, I heard this huge, like, crack, and um, in the, it was raining, and there was a storm, and I heard this crack, and I went into her room to see what the crack was, and um, there was, the roof had literally caved in over her bed, like, there'd just been a hole, and all the water in that was pouring in from the rain. So I grabbed her laptop and that, went in, and I called her, and I was like, hey, um, like, we've got a massive leak in your room, this is the situation. She came home and genuinely accused me of peeing on her bed. But what? So didn't she see the crack in the ceiling? Yep. She claimed that I had peed on her bed and then broken a hole in the ceiling to try and cover it up. And the fact that there was, I mean, firstly, the water was really ankle deep in the room. I don't know how much pee she thinks I generate, but at the same time, (laughs) it was the most ridiculous thing that has ever occurred in my life. And I tried to make that into a routine in so many ways, and no one believed anyone would be that nuts without, like, somehow being on, like, a hallucinogenic. You know what I mean? Like, no one believed anyone would be that bizarre. And it was honestly, and then it became one of those things where it's like, do I make it a drug thing? But then it's kind of like, am I punching down? Like, and it sort of, it just never worked. I could never make that story work or funny. And it just always became... It was just so weird that no one ever bought it, you know, and I could never make it work. Still can't. <laughs> it's amazing the really real things that, for some reason, don't find a life on stage. Everyone's like, as if that happened. It's like, no, that, like, all that other shit that I said, like, I actually do know my dad. We're really close. Like, I just say I don't know my dad to generate uh, empathy with the audience. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's not true. But there are, uh, there are... Yeah, it's funny, these really real stories. I wonder if there's something in that story in, and you may have tried this angle, but maybe there's something in, you're a really accepting person and it's amazing the shit that comes that you come up against. Do you know what I mean? Like if it's like something would happen to you, like if that happened to you, you'd be like, ah, 
Ah, oh, ceiling. Yeah, you know, but... In all this time, people have been peeing on my bed. <laughs> people have been peeing on your bed, yeah, this whole time. <laughs> all this time. <laughs> I think there's a medical term. It's something about zebra. Something about don't expect a zebra. And it's about when you're making... When you're, uh, as a doctor, you find a couple of results, go for the one that's most obvious. And it comes back to if you're walking down the street and you hear hooves behind you, you don't turn around expecting a zebra. You expect Mm. a horse. And that's how they get to correct conclusions on things. And Mm. that woman, her first thought would have been, oh, a zebra walked in and pissed on my bed. (laughs) And also, what does that say about you? (laughs) That she thinks that you would do that. Yeah, that's the thing, that that she expected that and fully convinced herself. And I think maybe to this day genuinely believes that that is what occurred. And, but I don't, like, we weren't even fighting. Like, I don't know why she thinks I would have done that. (laughs) That's going to be your Daily Telegraph story come out when you make it big. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel. She peed on my bed. Peed on my bed. (laughs) That's amazing. What a weird thing. Could you imagine living with someone again? I live with people now. Oh, do you? I've got three male housemates. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry. How are you going? Are they are they at least good with hygiene? Oh, they're lovely. I'm very lucky. Like I have really great like housemates. Um we live in a huge house too, so it's really fantastic because it's like like I have three housemates, but I can easily go days without seeing any of them. We have like a huge living spaces and double kitchen and it's we're very, very fortunate that, like, we're never on top of each other. Like, I've never had to wait for the bathroom, ever. Like, it, it's really, really fantastic. And they're all lovely guys. Like, we all get along really, really well. So, um, yeah, it's it's honestly fantastic. I'm very fortunate. Yeah, so, that's a weird. It's, it, oh, it is by far the best housemate situation I've ever been in. I have had housemates who won't pay rent. I've had housemates. Oh, yeah. And you know what? <laughs> when you're in lockdown, it's a good time to have good housemates. Oh, very much so. Very much. And housemates who are kind of like, um, just, I think there is a, like, I feel like I've talked to you about this before, like about the fact that finding a good housemate who is you get along with and you want to spend time with, but also isn't knocking on your door every five minutes. Cause I am somebody who I need my space. I'm a very outgoing person and I'm like very talkative and all, but I also will happily, I need my room, I need my space, I need to, you know, like, I can't have someone constantly, it drives me nuts. So there is definitely that fine line where you still want to hang out with them, still want to spend time with them, but they're not in your space all the time. Yeah, that's important. The, when, when you feel someone <laughs> hovering by your door constantly and you're like, man, mm-hmm. I just need to, like, read or I just need to... I just want to watch TV. <laughs> and you don't always... um. And also, I'm a very clean person. I get very, like, I'm very, very clean. I'm tidy. I like, I get quite bothered if you leave everything all through the kitchen and that, that drives me. I clean as I go. Me too. I'm a clean as I cook person. I will, by the time I've sat down and I'm eating, the only thing to clean is the bowl I'm eating out of. Like, I am a very, just clean as I, I wash up as I go. Um, But yeah, that is a the piles of dishes for days because we're getting to them drives me nuts. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is too much. My, uh, my first flatmate was a six foot 10 basketballer, Brett Wheeler. And he used to, I, I discovered just over time, I was the one doing all the dishes. Like I just, you know, when you suddenly (laughs) realize, Oh, it's me, I'm doing all of these. So I decided I'm just going to wait to see how long 
he realises that his dishes haven't been done. And then after a couple of weeks, uh, I said, you know, all of these are your dishes and you these are disgusting and you need to, I'm not cleaning them. And he said, okay. And he picked them all up, took them out, threw them in the bin, went and bought new crockery. And I was like, well, I kind of respect that. <laughs> <laughs> I respect it. I respect it. Now, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a clean person. Like, I, I really like things to be neat and tidy. I don't, I'm not a strewn about the house kind of person at all. Um, so I think you've just kind of got to find somewhere. I'm, I'm also not kind of like... I'm not kind of like OCD about it, but it's definitely like I need, I need some remnants of just anything. Sorry, I'm saying this in the weirdest way. I am more tidy than I am. I'm like you know, and I don't like things um, like plates and that left about. I find that really disturbing. I don't like that at all. Yeah, yeah. You've got to find someone on your wavelength with housemates. I think. Yeah, absolutely. You feel a brand of crazy. And so what have you been watching as well? So now that you're kind of back in lockdown, have you been getting into anything or? Oh, oh, so many things. I've started watching New Girl, but my latest obsession, hashtag spinoff. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's been off segment. Um, I watched Titanic. Oh, so that's fascinating because I've never seen it. Like you've never seen it at all? No, I've never seen it. Okay. I watched it for the first time two weeks ago. Yeah. I had seen half of it three times. <laughs> because it's long, isn't it? Like it's like two and a half hours. It's pretty long. Three hours. It's pretty long. Um, it's more when I was a kid, and this is one of my parents' greatest parenting fails, um, was when I was about five, my parents were told by a uh, another parent at school that Titanic was their child's favourite movie. And we were in about kindy or you one oh. at this time. And my mum sort of went, that's a bit weird, but if this was one of my best friends, so she went, oh, well, if this is like, if she likes it, maybe like it's okay for the kids. So my parents put on Titanic for us (laughs) as kids and it traumatised the family in a way that I can never explain. (laughs) I got to the part where they were down, like she had cut the handcuffs underneath the boat and they're like, there's no way out. And I was so hysterical by this point in the film. My mum took me in the other room and made me watch um, like a parade on the other channel to try and cheer me up. And I did not watch the ending of Titanic until two weeks ago. Wow. That is insane. (laughs) That like, that's a really traumatic movie regardless of because it's a real story and these people did die horribly and why is that little girl watching it why is she watching that to start with but also why did my mum believe it oh yeah like, I, think, I have some real questions for mum on this and she always defends it like it's totally reasonable too whenever you say to her like why would you let me watch that and she and she'll go well kieran was watching it and she said it was fine and you're like kieran was six like settle down like why are you taking movie advice from a six-year-old <laughs> and i, I don't want to be like, rude but we know how titanic ends i just want to say my mum's going to listen to this and quite frankly, mum, we're not happy. <laughs> it makes me laugh. <laughs> you dropped the ball. and <laughs> Well, it's funny. I wonder, like, you'll have to ask your mum and because I'm curious now because maybe she thought that it was like Disney-fied or something, you know, and at the end, <laughs> just as it's about to sink, it grows wings and flies to safety. Well, I think it was 
kind of like it was all very like the idea was all dramatized that it was like this love story you know so whether she probably thought it was more that dramatized kind of version and the actual sinking and dying part was probably a little bit glossed over but no there's a lot of sinking and dying but my young I have a younger sister who also watched it and she was so scared of boats. I remember going a few years later, we went to Canberra, like as a family, and we went to the War Memorial. And in one of the rooms of the War Memorial, there's a boat hanging from the ceiling. And I remember Claire walking in and just screaming the place down. My dad having to pick up my sister and like take her out because she was just hysterically screaming at the side of a boat. So traumatized the family wow that is amazing isn't it a bit sexy as well like isn't there kind of oh honestly everything about this film should not have been watched that's so funny (laughs) like watching sex scenes with your parent is an awful like there's not really any sex scenes is there it's just kind of a bit is there there's a pretty decent sex scene and there's a nude painting scene oh i knew about the nude painting there's the nude painting but there's also the sex scene in the car with the hand against the window you know the famous one i only know broad strokes well it's saucy justin it's saucy so what what's your mum doing when there's a sex scene on is she kind of talking you through it is she trying to is, she, is that the point that was the time she chose for the birds and the bees talking no i have no real recollection of that um i remember the scene but i don't remember mum and dad like in any way. <laughs> That's when I'm getting lectures from mum. Well, I don't know if this is particularly the way you should be treating a lady, but, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, not in a car then. Fair I mean, enough. <laughs> maybe maybe we need more of that in society. Maybe. I've got to learn young. <laughs> so how far had you seen into it before you finally watched I had seen The Boat Was Sinking. Right. And in the film, he, like, she has to go rescue him from underneath, right? In the, that is the concept of the film. I got to the point where she had just let him, um, like, she had um, got rid of the handcuffs and they were still underneath the boat and trying to get out. And that's where, so the boat hadn't sunk yet. It was sinking. And that's where I tapped out. And I had watched it since then, but only got to about that point as well. So I'd never seen, I always knew what happened in the ending. Like, well, the boat sinks, but I mean, like, to the love story and everything, I knew what occurred, but I'd never seen it. I've never seen it because one of the many masculine traits I have is that I don't swim and I don't like having my face underwater. I find it really panicky. And uh, like even in the shower, like I can have it over the top of my head, but on the face, which sounds kind of sexual, but it's uh, just having it, it just makes me really panicky. So I've never been a, a swimmer. So that's why I've never seen it because the idea of watching heaps of people drowning is not my idea of a fun time. Like it's objectively a really great film. Like I really enjoyed it, but it was more that I just became absolutely obsessed with the Titanic and facts about the Titanic. So I have, I have so many things to tell. Oh you yeah. Well, Titanic. tell me, tell me what, have, what have you discovered? What's, what's come out of your James Cameron experience? My James Cameron experience. Well, firstly, in relation to the actual film, did you know that every character in the Titanic film, excluding Jack and Rose, who were your lovers, and Rose's fiance, everyone else was a real person. Oh. All of the characters on the boat were named and were playing real people who either lived, who were on the Titanic, either lived or died on the Titanic. Oh, I did not know that. That's really interesting. So that is. Really interesting. You've got this vein of fiction that propels the movie. 
amongst all this historical fact. Exactly. So the couple themselves and that, they weren't real. They were created for the sake of plot. But, yeah, all of everyone else they speak to, everyone who welcomes them onto the ship, everyone they have dinner with, everyone down underneath the ship, they are all real people. I'm really curious about that kind of thing because uh so if you're portraying people who really existed do you have to get in touch with the descendants to get permission and well no and there was actually a bit of controversy about that because there was one person in particular who was working on the ship who was portrayed to have um killed himself on the boat and there is no evidence that that occurred in fact there is evidence that he did not he went down with the ship and actually was helping people to the very end and the family sued oh yes okay that's interesting saying like well you've showed him to basically be like like essentially cowardly in that rather than assist he um decided he'd kill himself when in fact he was a hero who assisted so many people onto a lifeboat and went down with the ship and they sued that seems like a really bad thing to get wrong like you can't you can't make an artistic choice on you know what we just need someone to die in a slightly different way let's take this random person who was doing a good job because we need it for the movie right yeah it was a bit it was an artistic choice but the two that I found really interesting there is a very famous scene that anyone who's seen the movie will know I've been too busy rewatching uh, Christopher Nolan films there's a very famous scene where and one of the saddest scenes in the movie is an old couple who go back to bed together and die in each other's arms in bed. And go down with the ship. Well, they were indeed real people. And they were actually the co-owners of Macy's, the retail store that we oh. all know in America. They actually co-owned Macy's. And um, yes, the truth of the story is that they were both offered a position on a lifeboat because they were both really rich. And he was looked around, saw that there were so many women and children still who were going to go down with the ship and refused his place and said, I won't take it above these people. Um, And he tried to convince his wife and his wife said, no, wherever you go, I go. And they both got off the boat and they were last seen together and they went down with the ship. Oh, wow. But also, it makes you want to buy from Macy's for some reason, even though I don't think it's going to directly benefit them. No, I still, it makes me want to buy from Macy's. He seems like a nice guy. I think you're right. It's probably not going to benefit them, but not directly. Not directly. <laughs> That's a very old-fashioned story, isn't it? Like it's a real Yeah. You know, there's a real integrity to it because now like look at look at the leadership we have from rich people in the world now. Now that that person is They would throw a baby off like straight. Yeah, up. they they're saying there's too many people on this boat. Get some people off this boat. <laughs> I just want this boat to myself and that rich person and that rich person. Yeah. Oh, that's a sad, that's kind of like one of those beautiful, sad stories, isn't it? Really sad, but also like nice in a really depressing yeah. way. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's an act of chivalry and chivalry is. Very much. And nice that it was depicted as such, like all that was depicted in the film. I like that that integrity was maintained in that story. Yeah. While they're giving it up for poor old suicide Sam, like yeah. who didn't do anything. That's weird. That's a that's a weird juxtaposition, isn't it? I'm I'm really fascinated by that. What else do you have? Oh, I've got so many. So many. I have Okay, this is an interesting one. Most people know that there were not enough lifeboats on the Titanic, right? And in fact, there were 20 lifeboats and those 20 lifeboats could hold a total of 1178 people, but there were over 2200 people on board. So they were massive over 1000 short, right? And actually, Titanic wasn't at capacity. So, like, potentially it could have been even more short, right? 
So they massively underbooked on lifeboats. And everyone knows that, but a lot of people think that was actually a mistake when it wasn't. The truth is that that was by design. Firstly, because um, they wanted an unobstructed view, but that wasn't the main reason. The main reason there were so few lifeboats was because lifeboats at that time weren't seen as something that would ever have to hold everyone on board. They were always seen at that time in maritime law and everything else as being a like shuttle service. So people would get in, you would shuttle them to another nearby boat or island, and then they would get off and you'd bring the boat back, shuttle more people. And they were always seen as like a ferry service as opposed to something that would ever have to hold everyone who was currently on the boat. Because maritime disasters like this didn't quite exist yet. Well, didn't exist. Well, that hadn't happened, you know? So it was actually by design that there wasn't enough lifeboats. It had never, no one had ever contemplated that they would need to co- carry everybody. So were they called lifeboats or were they called ferry boats? <laughs> they were called lifeboats. They were called lifeboats, <laughs> but they didn't think that they might need to save lives. Yeah, no, of course not. <laughs> no, they just thought that everyone, they assumed that I guess boats would sink real slow and or there'd be a nearby boat or island at all times. It was not particularly well thought thought out, but it was also they didn't want to put more on for an aesthetic point of view and there was nothing requiring them to, so they just didn't. So it was massively, there were so many less lifeboats than required. And on top of that, most lifeboats on the Titanic were actually launched massively under capacity, some less than half full. There was one lifeboat that I think had 11 people in it when it could hold over 60. Oh, well, you'd be wrapped if you're one of the 11 because you'd have leg room (laughs) as well. This is great. Put your bag down in the seat next to you. (laughs) Yeah, those those people would have been awkward afterwards, you know. Oh, how was, like, was it traumatic? It's like, look, it was traumatic, but the the 10 of us had a really good time. (laughs) We were all stretched out. We started doing yoga. It was... I had to be that guy, but it wasn't too bad. (laughs) It was actually lovely. Uh, But yeah, so I just found that really interesting fact. But it was so after the Titanic was um, there were um, before the sister ship, the Britannic was launched. There was a lot of um, like protesting in that and discussion about the fact. And that's why they actually added lifeboats for that after the Titanic and maritime law change. Right. Could you imagine like I'm not having a go at this, but could you imagine walking up towards a boat and going, ah, the aesthetic of this boat is shit out. So all I can see uh, heaps of opportunities to get off if it sinks. <laughs> well, but they thought it was unsinkable, remember? Well, that is true. Yeah, yeah, of course. It was the... Un- <laughs> like, as soon as you say something is incapable of doing it... Playing with fire, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it feels like fate on that. But, uh, but I've got another really good one for yes, you. Yes, please. These are good facts, by the way. I'm really enjoying these. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I, I, I come to educate about the Titanic. Yes, <laughs> finally. <laughs> Someone's got to do it, you know? So there was a woman, her name was Violet Jessup, and I think she's probably one of the most interesting people in the world. She, well, she's dead now, but I mean, she survived, she survived all three sister ship sinkings, right? So there were three sister ships. There was the Olympic, the Titanic, and the Britannic. They were all created by White Star, right? And basically, she was a stewardess, a boat, aboard all three so she was on the rms olympic when it crashed in september of 1911 uh there were no fatalities on that um it didn't actually even sink it just crashed and went back to port she survived sorry what did it crash into crashed into another boat another ship but they managed to get it back to port everyone's okay then she was on the titanic her friends talked her into getting a job on the titanic as a stewardess 
She obviously, we know how that ended, um, hit an iceberg. She survived on Lifeboat 16. And fun fact, she was actually, as the lifeboat was going down, she was handed a baby and didn't know where this baby came from. When they got saved by the RMS Carpathia, this woman ran up to her, saw the baby, grabbed it and ran off. And they just assume it was the mother. Oh my God. They assume. They assume. (laughs) Wow. Well, it probably is, right? Well, I mean, we hope so. Otherwise it was a strange occurrence, but yeah. So she saved, the, survived the Titanic. And then a few years later, she got talked into taking a nurse job on the Britannic, which sank due to an explosion, which is still unexplained to this day. And it sank within 55 minutes. While it was sinking, she managed to get into, a, um, into one of the lifeboats. And because of the way the lifeboats were urgently being um, lowered, she nearly got pulled under one of the propellers. She had to jump out, sustained a head injury, still survived. And then two years later, she returned to work for the White Star Line for the rest of her life. Like, there's got to be an easier way to make money. Stop getting on boats. I just... There's so many different angles on this. First of all, my first angle is, are we sure that she wasn't working for the insurance arm of the company like three like you would not stand next to her in a rainstorm would you like i just <laughs> no i wouldn't even be in the same suburb i'd be terrified <laughs> so, but she is remarkable that she keeps getting out of these situations it sounds like each one gets worse as well more and more dramatic and, and she kept on getting talked into these jobs by her friends like get better friends oh yeah your friends are shit ass violet Jessup. your friends are shit <laughs> yeah, your friends are awful. Like after the after the first one, I'd be like, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe do door to door sales, <laughs> something like that. By the third one, she was a nurse too. Like, just go work in a hospital. Mm. I just you were trained. Come on, stay on land. Just stay on land. And that's it. and then she ended up dying at like eighty seven from something like congenital heart failure. It was so just such a standard way to die. And it was like she needed. I really felt like she needed to like die skydiving, like die from too much land, you know, something. <laughs> yeah, she needed an ironic death. She yeah, she did. She survived so much. Either that or like, like accidental drowning in a bathtub, you know, like something really kind of poetic, you know. I feel like it was just. She, she choked to death on a glass of water. Yeah. <laughs> but what a legend. I, I'm a pretty big fan of her. I'm a pretty big fan of Violet Jessup. <laughs> that, that is pretty amazing. The, the last one is phenomenal. Nearly getting hit by right? a propeller. Like, that's terrifying. Yeah, nearly got sucked under and she managed to jump out of the lifeboat oh. and then got into another lifeboat. Jeez. I just can't believe a few years later she went back and worked for the same... Like, she's still working all this time. It was the same company, too. I wonder if she kept getting bonuses. Like, you, do, do you know what I mean? It's like, she's probably going to sue us. Why don't we just keep bumping her up in these positions of power <laughs> so that way she never thinks I should sue this company? Yeah, right. <laughs> so did that? I can't believe that company kept going considering it had three boats that sank. Uh, it's like, well, the first one didn't technically sink. It just, like, crashed. It crashed, right? yeah. But still, you know, three <laughs> boat mishaps. There's a lot of questions about this one. Like, I mean, the whole company, I would... But would you get on? That's the question. You just go, would you be... There is no way I would get on one of their boats. No way. Oh, absolutely not. No. I've already told you that I can't put my face underwater in a, in a, in a shower. Like, I am not getting on any <laughs> of their boats. I'm not even walking past in case the pier collapses into the sea. Right? Oh, no way in living hell. No way in living hell. Yeah. <laughs> and I have one more very cool fact for you. Okay. 
This is a conspiracy theorist fact. Oh, great, great. One of the biggest conspiracy theories about the Titanic is that it didn't actually sink because of an iceberg. The theory is that it sank because of a fire in one of the bunkers underneath the ship. There is a lot of reasons for this theory, um, and the reality is there was a fire. There was a fire that was put out, like, I believe the day before the Titanic sank, but there was a fire in the coal bunkers. And there is a photo where there is a glare on the side of the Titanic and people reckoned it was like scorch marks, but that has been debunked numerous times. But it still exists as one of the biggest conspiracy theories that it was all like someone sabotaged the boat by setting the fire. Like there's, it's a whole conspiracy thing. It has all been debunked numerous, numerous times. And the reality is that coal fires in the coal bunkers underneath the ship actually happened all the time. It was pretty standard for these to occur. And this fire did, did occur and it was on the starboard side of the ship. And on the starboard side, that was where the ship hit the iceberg as well. Now, because a couple of days prior, this fire had gotten quite out of control, it had been quite a big fire, in order to stop the fire, what they had done is they'd taken all the coal from the starboard side of the ship and they'd moved it onto the um, port side of the ship to get the coal away from the fire. And because of that, the Titanic actually started to list about two degrees towards port, So when the iceberg ripped open the hull of the ship on the starboard side and that side of the ship started taking on water a lot quicker because that all that coal was on the other side of the ship on the port, it actually acted as a counterbalance and that is why the Titanic never capsized. Oh, right. So... That is why when the Titanic sank, it ended up breaking in half and going down. But like the famous photos of the um, Costa Concordia and stuff, where they've all capsized and been on their side, the Titanic never capsized. And they've run a lot of simulations and such. And they say that if that coal had not been moved to the other side of the boat, it would have flipped after less than an hour and potentially there would have been no survivors. Oh. So because that coal was moved to the port side of the ship, it took over two hours for the boat to sink, and it meant that there were survivors. So it's been referred to as the guardian angel of the Titanic. Oh, good fact. Good fact. (laughs) That's really interesting. So for a situation that ends up being tragic, what a bit of luck. Yeah, well, that's it. They saved, like, I believe over 1,500 people survived, and... They managed to launch nearly all the lifeboats. I believe all were launched, but one flipped. And um, they, um, yeah, so, and yeah, if they hadn't had that counterbalance, it would have capsized. So there you go. Wow, that's great. These have been all really good facts. I've enjoyed all of these. I've really just told you facts today. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's really good. They've been so interesting. I'll contemplate watching Titanic. I'm not going to. You have to. to watch the film. You have to watch the film. Do I? Yes, because then you now know that everyone in it is a real people and you can tell me who your favourite is. <laughs> and I can get really angry over the guy who didn't kill himself who was actually a hero. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, oh, there's so much in it, but I just, I'm, the one that I just keep, can't get over is Violet Jessup. I just can't get over, like, I mean, everyone's had a terrible job, but like, that's, there's got to be a point where you go, you know what, I think maybe I'm, I'm meant for land. Oh, absolutely. I feel that way consistently. <laughs> Before I let you go, so when did Titanic come out? Was it 93? Was it... 97. 97. It was 1997. So that's 23 years ago. Very good at maths. Don't mm. mean to brag. But that <laughs> means 
surely it's time for, because theatres are struggling, cinemas are struggling, people don't like to make new things. So if they were to remake Titanic, who would you like in the lead roles? Oh, I'm thinking R. Pats. I'm thinking Robert Pattinson for Leonardo DiCaprio's role. Oh, yeah, that's good. I think he's kind of got that vibe. I and I don't know. It's my. We talked about him last time. I have a recent crush after Tenet. Oh, yeah, like that is absolutely (laughs) fair enough. We put him with. I've got. I've got an idea, but I was going to put it with someone else. So I was going to go Harry Styles. No, I hate Harry Styles. How can you hate Harry Styles? (laughs) I just hate him. I have a lot of thoughts on Harry Styles. That is honestly a conversation for another day. My opinions on Harry, I hate Harry Styles. <laughs> it's the only reason I didn't watch Dunkirk. It's the only Christopher Nolan film I haven't seen is Dunkirk. <laughs> He's really good in it. And I went in thinking, oh, why has Christopher Nolan put someone from One Direction in? And then I watched him and I thought he was really good. And he was so good, I bought his album and I listened to it three times and it was not for me. But I... Gave it a go. Wow. All right. Well, we'll, we'll go Robert Patterson. So then I'll give, since you you and your weird hatred of Harry Styles, I've never heard that before. Josh Earl's going to be really upset with you. Oh, I've got real opinions on Harry Styles. Who are we putting our pats with? Well, I feel like, so this might be a roll of the dice and I don't know, this might be historically inaccurate because I don't quite know the class system back then of who was allowed mm. to be on Titanic and you'll be able to tell me here but what about Zendaya oh I love that but no I don't think it would, would she would she have been possibly work like were African-American people allowed to work on it I'm gonna be honest I don't know like but I don't in order the role of Rose was very rich though like you know what I mean like she the character in the film is very I I, I worry like the because maybe Honestly, I don't know, but I love that cast. Do we flip them? Do we make her the stowaway and we make our Pats the rich toff? Maybe. Honest, honestly, I don't. I, I do not care what the class system is. I am a hundred percent about Zendaya rocking that role. I love. So her. can can since you hate him so much, can we have uh, Harry Styles be Billy Zane? Just anyone who dies. Right, Jesus <laughs> Christ. I'm I'm genuinely someone's going to have to throw a blanket on me. I've never heard anything negative about Harry Styles before. Even guys my age who like my friend Damien whose no. daughters are 18 and 13. He's like, "Oh yeah, I don't mind the Harry Styles album." <laughs> no. Nah. No, don't like wow. it. Wow. <laughs> no time for him. Wow. <laughs> what a controversial note to end on, but I love controversial it. Controversial opinion. But you know what? That's why I come on the big squid to share Titanic facts. And create some controversy in Hollywood. Lay the fucking smackdown on Harry Styles. It was like, <laughs> it's 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 not even 10, 10 a.m. on a Sunday here in Australia. Like I'm in, gonna go and have a stiff drink. <sighs> That's it. Whatever. Get him some aloe for that burn. Yeah, absolutely. You have to watch Dunkirk. <laughs> you watch Dunkirk. I'll watch Titanic. All right. I can do that, but it just seems like a lot of boating movies to be having in one week. Yeah, <laughs> you're on a roll. You might as well follow it through, right? Get amongst it. Neither of us are ever going to be able to get on a boat again. <laughs> so where can people find you on the socials? You're an Instagram on girl. On socials. I'm more a Twitterer than anything else. I'm building Twitter slowly. I've only had Twitter less than a year. I'm new to Twitter, but... Rachel Melanter on everything. Thank you very much for joining us today. We'll, we'll chat again soon and take care up there with uh, the lockdown. Thank you. Cold.
Cobb and his team are thieves who enter people's dreams so they can steal closely guarded secrets from their victim's subconscious. Cobb is considered the best in his field, but by living in a world of corporate espionage, he has lost everything he values and loves. Now a secret corporation is giving Cobb a chance at redemption to return to his loved ones, but he's not stealing ideas this time. Instead, he has to plant an idea in someone's mind. If he succeeds, it will be the perfect crime. But if he fails, Cobb could be lost for the rest of his life, in the real world and deep within his own mind. Welcome to Christopher Nolan's Inception. There's one thing you should know about me. I specialize in a very specific type of security. Subconscious security. You're talking about dreams? Mr. Cobb has a job offer he would like to discuss with you. What kind of work placement? Not exactly. We create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their secrets. Then you break in and steal it. Well, it's not strictly speaking legal. It's called Inception. Already. Something is actually strange. This is your responsibility. You're not prepared for this. Dreams collapsing. I have it under control. to see out of control. You mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. Do you remember your dreams? Ah, uh, ooh. <sighs> yes and no. I either remember them vividly, yep. you know, to almost excruciating detail, where, like, some dreams I've had years and years ago are almost as though they happened. Like they flash into my mind like they're actual memories. Right. Or I have the sleep of the dead and just remember nothing. Yeah. What about during uh, these COVID times? Because I found that mm. my, and it's a, it's being reported on, dreams are so much more prominent. It's like they're in HD. Yeah. And I seem to be remembering a lot more of them when I wake up. Yeah, no, I, in the last few months, I've been having lots of dreams where I am rendered helpless. Okay. So, like, I had one the other day where I was swept into some kind of ocean current, but the ocean was made of, like, gelatin. 
And so I couldn't even raise my arms out of the water to doggy paddle. It was just this real kind of like, no, I'm stuck. And I've just, you know, you couldn't even do that thing that they tell you to do when you're caught in a rip where it's like, no, it's fine. Just float on your back and let the current take you and you'll be fine. I couldn't even do that. I was just a prisoner of this kind of mold. Um, And then earlier in March and April, I was having horrendous COVID-related dreams. Oh, yeah. You know, about viruses passing and germs. and. I had a lot of dreams about death. Yeah? Yeah, like really full on. Your uh, death or just like... Like, I, I talked about this on a uh, previous uh, podcast with Will Anderson. But, by the way, before I say this, I don't want anyone who's listening to think this is anything bad. I didn't see this as anything bad. I saw this literally as a metaphor. Of course. But I had two weeks of waking up from dreams where I'd been getting ready to kill myself. Whoa. Now, I don't yeah. think... Like, I did not wake up and think, oh my God, am I okay? No. I was just waking up thinking... Jesus, like, I've never looked at that spot in the house and thought that when I'm awake, (laughs) why am I? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Thinking that now. <laughs> yeah. So I had that, and then I've had... Like, sometimes I've been really quite nice, but the, there was one on Saturday night where I just had a dream where I had a catheter in. And I just, for the whole dream, just remember, I it, the feeling was so awkward and yuck yeah. that even in the dream, I was thinking, Jesus, this is a shit dream. Why am I dreaming about a catheter? Why can't I be dreaming about something great? Have you ever done that where you're halfway through a dream, you realize it's your dream and you're like, ah, I'm out of here, nah, yes. and wake yourself up? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it's usually profound, huh? someone acting out of character. Oh, really? Yes. I remember there, I had a dream where Limo yelled at me. Ah. And Limo's never even raised his voice in remotely my direction. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he was really angry at me. Uh-huh. And he was also telling me that something he had been... So this is the dream. I had, at some point, uploaded a whole lot of videos about a character I'd invented. And the character was a guy who'd been trying to change his printer and got ink all over his hands and face. (laughs) And people... And then he had to film this thing and people thought he was being racist. And he wasn't. (laughs) He just couldn't get the ink off. And it was called Ink Face. And it was a series of, of these... Of the just the the joke being the guy was not racist, he just ended up in an awful situation. Yeah, yeah. And I had been ruined because people just went me for being <laughs> racist 
and Limo was yelling at me and he was saying, I told you it's a bad idea. No one is going to look for the nuance in the joke. And I was like... Just, Dream Limo is right. And that's when I knew it wasn't Limo. <laughs> 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 but it was it was him yelling at me that I was like, this is so weird. Limo's never yelled. Yeah, Wait right. a minute. As if I do a series of clips about <laughs> yeah. this. Hang on a minute. Oh, I'm dreaming. Yeah, I love it how it wasn't you doing a series of, of, of blackface character yeah. that made you realise you were dreaming. It was your friend acting a bit odd. Odd. And then, <laughs> and then I went backwards through the dream and then... You know, I heard Edith Piaf and yeah, the yeah, kick yeah. and I was back. <laughs> it is a hugely discombobulating thing because when I was in my early 20s, I said, did you ever see that film Waking Life? The Richard Linklater oh, rotoscope yeah. animation film? Yeah, uh, only once. I doubt it's aged well. It's probably right. quite naff these days, but it blew my little mind in my early 20s. Uh, anyone that hasn't seen it, it's basically just a series of vignettes of a yeah. guy moving through a dreamscape and yeah. he bumps into different strange characters who espouse different philosophies on life and death and the universe and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and there's a section in the middle of that where they describe what lucid dreaming is. And I just became fascinated by that concept that, you know, you could become self-aware in a reality that is not true. Yes. And... I remember very clearly the first time, because the big trigger for me <laughs> that makes me realize I'm dreaming is uh, in my dreams, I run on all fours, uh, like a like a cheetah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, and, and like I do big strides, like I cover a lot of distance. You're a street. muscular cheetah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hoo, hoo. And that's, and, ba- and like within the third or fourth stride when I'm like flying through the air, I'm like, wait a second, I don't run like this. And that's the, <laughs> that's the, the key. And these days I can usually keep myself in the dream. But the first time, it was literally like that scene in Inception where shit just starts blowing up. Like the entire world just started, boom. And I shot up in bed, just like, oh my God. Because it was like, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a full-blown hallucination uh, where something, in in waking life, Mm. where something that is not really there seems to be there in three dimensions. Yes, I had it when Mm. when I was a kid, when I had... uh, like I didn't know it at the time, but I had pneumonia, pleurisy, and meningitis all yeah. at once, <laughs> and I was in Triple grade threat. two. Yeah, uh. and I hallucinated. I had a. I was watching the goodies with my grandfather, and I had a headache, and I decided to go to bed. Which my grandfather was like, "This is weird. When uh. does a kid want to go to bed?" <laughs> and I hallucinated two kind of beings that were like white light, lift the roof off the house and reach down and touch me. And then I woke up in hospital. Whoa. Yeah. And that wasn't a dream. That was a hallucination. That was a hallucination. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow. And uh, I I remember the other thing is Queen was playing because (laughs) I think Countdown was on because it was a Sunday. So Countdown was on in like the other room and I could hear Queen while... Crazy little angel- thing called love. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So so that was a really full on. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I had a I had a hallucination when I was maybe nineteen or twenty. I might have been on a little something something at a uh, club, and a ginger tabby cat slowly plotted its way over to me as I was, you know, kind of doing the middle distance fucked up stare right and just sat down and just like Meow. And I started talking to the cat right and my friend next to me went well, who are you talking to and I'm like the cat and he goes what cat and the cat just 
disappeared. And I remember in that state, even in that state, going, "What the f-? like the, the the power of the brain yeah. to conjure a three dimensional image, uh, and how absolutely just discombobulating that was, you know, and st- all these philosophical." curly cues that you can get stuck in of what is reality and blah 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 um but it was a very similar thing the first time i lucid dreamed or probably the first dozen times i lucid dreamed where it's like this isn't real yeah i'm conscious of and i'm in a space that is a construct of my own brain um i i mean i still haven't been properly able to square that yeah dreams are very strange they still don't really know like what is it they don't really know uh it's funny i did you know doing research for all of this and reading theories and it's it's like the uh it's an opportunity for the brain to almost defrag itself and, yeah. and pull things together and yeah. make suggestions but then there's you know there's the many worlds theory that when you're dreaming you're actually yeah. seeing you're tapping into the multiple <laughs> you yeah, yeah, elsewhere yeah. yeah i also heard another one that it's the brain uh, often creating scenarios like test case scenarios. Yeah. Like, you know, that's why so many dreams are so extreme or putting you in just crazy situations. It's like, oh, how would you react in this type of situation? Right. It's almost like, you know, an RPG for your consciousness. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, they're fascinating. It, it, it helps. Uh, it's And it's fascinating for this movie as well. I So for, for this movie, so you have Edith Piaf's Non jean no regret rien, he says in his Australian accent, playing constantly, <laughs> which means no, I regret nothing. And I wonder, is there an irony in in that that this whole movie centres on two men who are full of regret? Fisher Ooh. and his relationship with his father and Dom with how everything played out with his wife. And how do you see the theme of regret playing out in the main characters? I had a really fun time re-watching this Yeah, film. wow. That's a fucking loaded and heavy question. Um, how does regret play out in Inception? Um, I think it plays out in the way he projects Mal. Yeah. Because I feel like the key to understanding this film... There's always these moments in, in a Nolan film where something really spells itself out, mm. you know, and we'll talk about Tenet when we get to it in the <laughs> timeline. But, you know, as I was once saying... I figured my, once I figured out what the fuck is going on yeah. in that movie, yep. But the key line to that is Clements Posey saying, don't try to understand it, yes. just feel it. And that, yes. and that movie very much feels to me like the memory of a Bond movie that I liked as a kid and then for some reason when I went back was as good as I remembered. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. So so in this, I feel like the so kind of like the giveaway to this film is when Ariande asks Arthur what was, Mal, uh, what was Mal like and he says she was lovely. Yeah. But she does not appear lovely yeah. in this film. And this is, this is his projection of her and, his, and I think it's his regret and he, she's treating him the way he thinks he deserves to be treated. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's an aspect of his consciousness that's wearing a Mao costume. Yeah. It's not her at all. It is his guilt and his regret. Yeah, absolutely. And often I think we do have to play out those scenarios in our heads to kind of, uh, you know, sort through the trash of the past or to, you know, maybe absolve ourselves of self-imposed guilt or, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, Fisher just has regret that he's never had a close relationship with his father. Yeah. Yeah. And that... Uh, Which is something that a lot of uh, Christopher Nolan fans can probably well, relate to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I also think it's one of Nolan's main themes. The yeah. lies, you know, yeah. the the regrets that we feel and the lies we tell ourselves to live. And I wonder what, what mm. parallels can you draw between Cobb 
another main characters from Nolan's work because I think yeah. I think the I think the idea of regret actually hits its zenith in The Dark Knight Rises, which I think is a movie full of regret. Yeah, now that you mention it, I'm, I'm I'm going back, and it's like really clearly there in Memento. Yeah, you know, and about self deception and the and you know. Uh, Perhaps he did something that he regrets, and so he has to tell himself a story to convince himself right. otherwise. Regret is a huge uh, theme in Insomnia. Absolutely. Um, so glad we went back and watched Insomnia. Yeah. How much is that? Yeah, really Popping good. into your head, and it's like, really good Pacino as well. Like it's, yeah. a, it's a lost Pacino performance when people sort of forget that he has still got it in him to pull out these yeah, absolutely yeah 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 and then yeah and obviously in batman i mean all of them yeah they're, they're yeah prestige it's all regret seems to be a huge thing which is very strange because uh nolan seems to be i mean obviously no, you can't ever know a person you know especially one who's uh very stage managed in his appearances but right. he seems like a very you know zen guy maybe that's, clearly you know well maybe that's why he's Mm. interested in it like sometimes you're interested in the things that you're a bit removed from yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the it's 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 really interesting re-watching this film and i've been looking forward to discussing this movie with you specifically since we just discussed the prestige yeah because when when you said that you didn't get into the prestige as much as other films because you hate the main characters. Yep. I felt that way a little bit about Inception. Really? And so I didn't want to say anything at the time. And then re-watching it, it was like, oh no, like, like of course I still love it. It's like saying, yeah. like, I love all my kids. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just, but there's just one who's a bit of an arsehole sometimes, <laughs> you know? And and so re-watching it, I, I got the, the joy of it back. Yeah. But I think Cobb is awful. Like, he's extremely manipulative to get what he wants mm-hmm. and what he needs. Mm-hmm. He gaslights his wife to mm-hmm. make her doubt her reality. And so, because he's so awful, with that in mind, what is his goal? Is it is his goal to get back to his children or is his goal to find catharsis from his guilt? I think it's catharsis for the guilt. Right. I think, I think the children are a um, convenient kind of story that he tells himself yes that that if he gets his children back he will be absolved of everything and he can move on but i do think it's about him you know getting away from the thing that he did although i don't like i i agree he gaslights his wife into doubting her reality but it also seems to be and this isn't to observe, you know, I'm not pro gaslighting everybody, no. everyone chill out. But I'm just, you know, they live in that uh, uh, nether well, realm so for what, 70 years? 50, is it 50? Yeah, 50, oh, a like long, long fucking time, time yeah. a lifetime. They share yeah. a lifetime together. Yeah. So, I mean, is it is it an act of um, deceptive gaslighting or is it an act of just desperation where it's like, we got to get out of here? Is it a bit of both? Yeah, it could be both. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's really fascinating. So because I don't think, sorry, just to, to yeah. hop on this point for a second longer, I don't, I don't think he's a completely irredeemable character because he's ri- to be the very act of being riddled with guilt yes. and regret. I think it might not make someone a good person, but it definitely doesn't make them some kind of amoral sociopath. Right. I think if he wasn't haunted by the ghost of his ex-wife every time he goes into these places, if he didn't have this monomaniacal focus to get to the kids, 
there's something, you know, I don't think a truly bad person seeks redemption. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But it's, um, but he's obviously at wit's end. Yeah. And, and he's he's pretty desperate. Oh, and... he looks insane in half of the movie. He looks oh, yeah. deranged. Yeah. And so, so this is all, so I'm really fascinated, really digging into his yeah, character. Yeah. So they tell you you can never touch another person's totem. But the totem he uses is the it's one hers. that belonged to his wife. Mm-hmm. And there is an irony in that the totem that tormented Mal ends mm. up tormenting Cobb. Yep. So what does, it, what does that say? Like, what does it say that he, he took her totem? Yeah, it seems... It, 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 it would suggest that, there's a, that, that she not only has a kind of still a very profound psychic hold over him. Yeah. But, I mean, does it open up a whole kind of can of worms of, like... You know, they're very explicit in saying no one is allowed to touch your totem. Right. And she knows the weight and the spin of that thing... Right. ...completely. Like, is is it possible for her consciousness to have some kind of influence on the dreamscape separate from what he's creating? Right. Because the totem is was her totem. Right. Am I, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's uh, it's fascinating. So by him using it, she's still kind of affecting that world. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a part of you that... You, this is re-watching it again because it's easy to forget because it's so visually spectacular. <laughs> yeah. Like when you think about it, you think of the, the that whole snow vista, you think about him being pushed into the bath, you think about them in the car falling the backwards. Fucking escalator, you think, man. Oh, man. So good. You know, Arthur, all of the stuff yeah. with Arthur, yeah. you think about all of that. And then when you rewatch it, you go, oh, hang on, there's heaps more going on with this movie that the visuals make me forget sometimes. Totally. And so there is a way that you can kind of watch the film and like there's a possibility she's the only character that knows that she's fictional. <laughs> yeah. Like she's the she's the only one who really yeah is speaking any truth in some ways. Yeah, right. Which, which, you know, yeah, exa- yeah, and so maybe that's that's the, th- you know, that that's a theme of the movie, like the, you know, the truth within fiction, yeah, you know, and the stories we tell, and you know, the truth within metaphor. I've I've never really bought into when I first saw it. I never really bought into, and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit later, but that he might still be, like the whole thing might still be a dream. No, or, but. There were a few more times, this, like watching it this time, there are a few more things like there's there's a moment where Michael Caine literally looks at us and says, come back to reality. Yeah. Yeah. And, when, and doesn't, doesn't a character say to him, I, I, it's it's Ellen Page's character that says to him, you know, you're you're chased by a shadowy organisation around oh, the that's, world. Oh, that's what uh, Mal says. Oh, you know, yeah. You know, yeah. you're, you're living this high life dream. Like, you, yeah. don't, you don't actually see him get anywhere. It's true. Which is how they say... Yeah, is how the dream begins. And also, it. Anyway, there's. I've got so much stuff here, but the uh, the fact that they keep contradicting the rules, which is exactly what happens in a dream. Mm-hmm. Like it's everything that they say are rules are constantly. Oh, except this time. Oh, and except here. <laughs> and what about this? And I know some people see that as a weakness, but it's also. No, it's, it's perfect dream logic. Yeah. 
I think it's perfect dream logic, and um, you know, and 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 it may be a little bit of kind of you know trolling on Nolan's part of like you know because the the ultimate cliche of like it was all a dream, right? You know, which is why I think it would be very uninteresting if it is all just a dream. Yes. But I think he's you know paying a little bit of kind of homage to that idea, you right. know, in that tricksy kind of way. Of, it's a heist movie as well, you know, like the, the, all those. There's always in a heist film. Everyone's saying this is how we're going to do things and things are going pear-shaped. Uh, just getting back to the top, though, if in a dream... if So in the dream, the totem of the top would keep spinning. Mm. So what did Mal do to the top when she locked it away? Because it obviously wasn't spinning because he goes in and spins it. Didn't she just place it in there? She just placed it in there, right? Yeah. So Because she didn't want to know about it. Yeah. And then he goes in and spins it. Shouldn't it have always been spinning because they're in a dream, but she just hadn't spun it in the dream. I think that's what it was. Right. I think that you, I, I, you know, that that to me suggests that she doesn't want to know yeah. one way or the other. Yeah, she's content with this reality. Lock that thing away. Yeah, you know, and you know, fuck. I mean, I do that. We all oh, do yeah. that. You know. Ooh, there's a little thought that I don't really like. Let's yeah. put that in a safe and hope that it doesn't burst open before I die. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> I've got a lot of places that are locked up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm interested to know, how do you prefer to view this movie? As mm. an exploration of dreams mm. or as a movie about making movies? Because if you break it down as a movie about yeah. movies, you have a financier who funds the project, you have a production designer who builds the world, an actor who plays various roles, an assistant director who keeps everyone on schedule, and the director is played by DiCaprio, who looks heaps like Nolan. Yeah. And you could say Dom is... Nolan, a man who digs into his dreams and subconscious to create whole worlds. Yeah, I see it as both yeah. and everything all at once. That's yeah. my, you know, I love movies that, um, you know, I mean, I think it's very popular to kind of, you know, you know, screen rant YouTube analyses of film where it's like, this is what the movie means. Yeah. It's like, nah, but it can mean, it can mean heaps. heaps at once. Yeah. You know, I think a great example of that was, I know it's an extremely polarizing, controversial film, but um, Mother, Darren yes. Aronofsky's Mother. Um, you know, when I saw that the first time, to me, it was all about the toxicity of celebrity and toxic masculinity and gaslighting and all these things. I didn't pick up on the biblical metaphor right. or the environmental allegory at all the first time. Right. And then went and read all these reviews that were like, oh, this movie fucking sucks. It's so clearly just a biblical allegory. And it's like, really? Because I didn't, you know. <laughs> and then you read another review that's like, oh, it's so clearly an environmental allegory saying nothing about the biblical thing. It's like, well, then maybe it's just all of those things. Right. And it, there's just, it's just a lot is going on. And it yeah. can be all of it. It doesn't need to be one specific thing. No. Isn't that the great thing about art? Yeah. It doesn't need to be, you know... So, I mean, I've seen that movie, the movie um, a- a- analogy with Inception. Yeah. I-, I love it. But, you know, I mean, is sure, it can be true or it cannot be true. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, uh, as you said, it can be both. Mm. And, uh, but, do, so there is, a, there's a little pushback. Does it kind of annoy you that the different levels of the dreams, they don't really feel like dreams. They It kind of fits more into different movies. Yeah, and because if it was like if it was a dream, like wouldn't there be one level where Arthur's not wearing pants? And... <laughs> where they're all in high school naked. Yeah, yeah. Tom Hardy's teeth drop out, you know, for no apparent reason. I, I, I am, I, I am, I, I'm like, uh, I am 
I for me, Inception is flawless. So all of the yeah. nitpicking that people do I, of like, you know, oh fucking that's not how dreams work. It's like, nah, man, it's just it's so good. I love yeah. it so much. Yeah. So whatever flaws people find in, you know, the dream logic or this I don't kind have of a stuff, problem with it either. Yeah. Like, you know, like a like a train comes out of nowhere in the exactly. middle of the street. Yeah, they're fucking running up the walls of a fucking hotel. Yeah. The, the my favorite visual thing in the entire film, and I still can't even figure out how they did it on this rewatch. I was trying to get my head around it when all of the bodies are unconscious right. floating and wrapped up in telephone wire oh, and yeah. how are they do like how is that effect being achieved yeah it's one of the most surreal things i've ever seen and it must be practical it, i think it must be practical because everything else is essentially practical yeah yeah yeah. And, and they don't look like cg recreations of the actors no but, i mean images like that are so dreamlike yeah and so surreal that yeah. it's like, yeah, oh, I don't need, you know, melting walls and no. dragons popping out of flower vases <laughs> or whatever. No. The uh I do like the idea that if it is a whole the whole movie is a dream, it's like, oh, I wonder like is is Dom being incepted? Like what <laughs> like maybe the whole dream is someone telling him that you killed your wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so Ariandi in Greek mythology is the daughter of King uh, Minos of Crete, who helped Theseus find the way out of the Minotaur's labyrinth. Oh, and she also guides Cobb through the mazes she helps build. So I'm going to throw this out there. I've never thought this before until this watch. So she's played by Ellen Page. Mm. Is, it, is it possible that if this whole thing is a dream, she, she kind of looks like she could be a young Mal? And if so, is this another example of that? Maybe this is Cobb attempting to find his way out of his dream predicament. Yeah, interesting theory. Like you know, that could be that could be me reaching a little bit, but there's just like, but <laughs> you know what I mean. But yeah. there's, it, it's not like it's a like a like she kind of looks like a smaller brunette. Yeah, you know, and the, and there's the grown up version. And yeah, yeah, If yeah. you're kind of going with dream uh, theory, and also like the like influences on this movie were a, a lot of the books by uh, short stories by Argentine author. George Louis Borges, and one of them was uh, the story The Other, in which Borges, as a narrator, encounters a younger version of himself and realizes they're two variations of the same person. Ah, so, right. so reading that, and you sort of that's what made me think. Yeah, oh, yeah. right. Like if you, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's they... very logical, and she tells him off, and she's always questioning him as mm. well, and she's the one that's really curious and wants to go down into yeah. the other layers to confront Mal. And there, there probably is a version of this movie where, you know, just on the top and tails, it's fucking DiCaprio in that, um, you know, that sleep chamber in Mumbai. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, that's, that's a really fascinating scene mm. because he wakes up and he goes to spin his totem and he, he drops it and then mm. you never see him spin it. Yeah. 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 Now, so the whole thing could be, you know, just him working out, some shit. <laughs> Working out some shit. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I, I kind of like the idea of... But it also means that sometimes you can just watch it as, yep, that's the real world and he got out. And then the next time you watch it, you can go, no, this is all a dream. Totally. Or, you know, that's kind of the fun of the film. I to- and I think that's the fun of, you know, most of Nolan's films. Yeah. Is that, you know, like... You can I- watch them on different... Yeah, Levels. you know, and and we've always been drawn to that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. a lot of Grant Morrison writing yeah. and stuff, and the things are things are different based on different the different times in your life when you watch them, and that's great, isn't that what good art is? Absolutely, I you know? felt that way. Watch watching Tenet 
made me feel like I was watching a Morrison comic yeah in many ways yeah yeah and different things resonate at different times in your life or with different experiences you know when i was a kid and i'd watch the shining i watched it through danny torrance's eyes and it was terrifying and oh, now yeah. as a nearly 40 year old man i relate a hell of a lot more to jack torrance uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when i'm hanging out with certain comedians i yeah. feel like i'm uh, the wife <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i can't get away from this guy why does he keep talking to me why is he trying to push through the door while I'm taking a shit. Um, literary critic, and this kind of goes in, literary critic Frank Commode famously argued that all successful works of art have the ability to inspire multiple interpretations. So that is, yeah. you know, Fuck the key yeah. to this movie's success, right? Yeah. Uh, we've already talked about the, uh, the, the, the dialogue. People, people get upset that they're always, you know... Telling, explaining to you what's going through, but I'm fine with that because, yeah. and I'm, you know, I like that his movies are populist, and yeah. and I think it's really important. And we were talking about this before we started recording. I think sometimes you have to watch things and not just watch it for what you want, but imagine like being twelve and seeing Inception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my friend uh, who lives in Darwin got in touch with me and said, uh, "My son, who's I think he's." I think he's 11 or 12 now, wants to see Tenet. Is that okay? And I said, oh, yeah, well, has he seen other movies? And he said, yeah, he loves Interstellar. And I'm oh, like, then yes. yeah, he'll be fine. He'll like, be imagine fine. being yeah, be that f- age and seeing that kind of stuff. And if, yeah. if, if, if he's providing through the dialogue ample opportunities for heaps of people to yeah. enjoy this film, that to me... Well, especially when it's high concept. I mean, you know, yeah. it's that... I mean, fuck... The Matrix is 75% exposition. Yeah. And I've never heard anyone complain about that. Yeah. You know, every line that Keanu delivers is squids. What are squids? Yeah. Oh, the grid. What's the grid? It's just him, you know, asking questions and yeah. Trinity going, oh, the squids are the machines. Blah, 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 blah. If it's a high concept sci fi thing, you have to have exposition. And what? I think with Inception, because I know it's a criticism of Nolan's films in general, that a lot of there's a lot of um, expositional dialogue or right. explaining what's happening. I think in Inception, it probably works more seamlessly than in any of them because you do have that Ellen Page character and it is so high concept. Of course, someone's going to have to, you know, up until fucking five minutes ago, she was some architecture student in Paris and then right. some guys come along and go, oh, guess what? You can build architecture in dreams and you can go into dreams within dreams within dreams. You're going to need a little bit of... Uh, yeah. Backstory on that to yeah. get your fucking head around it. Also, it's a it's a movie. Yeah, it's a fucking movie. So you know, like we, like it's fine. Everyone, stop complaining. Yeah, yeah you. <laughs> <laughs> not the, not not you, the other one. But also, I mean, like, how could that movie work without explanation? I mean, I guess it well, you could, could you could do that without explanation, you could, but it and it gets been... to as far few. Exactly. Less people, exactly, you know? and it wouldn't have been this giant fucking movie for yeah. masses. And so, but, so sometimes I get really annoyed. Sometimes all I get time. really annoyed <laughs> when people complain. Oh, all all that the big blockbusters are are superhero movies, yeah. and you know previous IP. And then you go, oh, "What do you think of Inception?" Oh, I hated the way it fucking explained everything. It's like, mate, 
Everything you just complained about, this is what this movie yeah, is yeah, pushing yeah, back yeah, against, yeah, yeah. and now you're complaining about that. Which which also belies the reaction at the time to Inception, which the right. general consensus of Inception when it first came out was, that movie didn't make any fucking sense. Like, South Park did a whole episode yeah. about how Inception doesn't make sense, and yeah. I just couldn't... I, think I couldn't get my fucking head around it, because it was like... I mean, I thought at the time, and I, I think I might have discussed with this with you at the time that maybe those of us that grew up reading comics and when used to multiple cross-cutting narrative happening yeah. all at once yeah. had no problem understanding it but then the more i thought about it, it was like no everything's very clearly explained yeah i mean if you would not if you were watching it with one eye open you know yeah sure you get confused or if you were fucking staring at your phone yeah i mean that's the thing his movies and you know we will eventually get to tenet but Tenet demands that you fucking watch it. Yeah, you got to keep up. Yeah. Um. But it's I. You know, it's all there. It's all explained. So I. I never understood the the double criticism of oh he's explaining everything, but I also didn't get it. Well, then you're an also idiot. it feels like I feel like Inception is the turning point in the love fest for Nolan. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. You know, Dark Knight comes along, he can do no wrong. Inception comes along, everyone's right into it, and then suddenly there is the literary pushback. And even now, you know, I read bits for this uh, podcast and people are really having a crack at him. And I think there is, in my my take on it is, there's an anti-intellectualism to it. And it's, mm. and it's not that... It, I think people mistake what he brings to movies as him trying to be a smart ass. He's not. He's just trying to show you something that you've never seen before yeah. and he's not going to the same tired tropes that every other arsehole goes to. Totally, and, totally. And I don't think he's like I think he's smart, but I don't think he's he he wants he's a populist. He wants everyone to enjoy his films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's a to me that's much more entertaining and also something that you should get behind rather than just picking on the ship for the sake of picking on it. Oh, totally. And, you know, I think uh, two things. Like, one, you know, for for me, and I'm sure for you as well, it's uh, really gratifying to see these really high-concept, you know, Grant Morrison comic book ideas mm. in mainstream huge yeah. films. Like, that, 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 that was why I was fizzing when I first saw Inception because it was like oh my god I never imagined yep. that I would see a, a, a huge movie like this like yeah. sure some indie movie for made for a couple of million dollars but not this like not on this. this scale yeah um and also the complexity um that's in there paired with the kind of the visual complexity gives his films I mean if if you're a person that likes his films it gives them just a, an immense amount of rewatchability yeah um you know I said to you when we first you know when I said to you I don't really have an opinion on Tenet yet because I received it but I'm really excited to see it again yeah Be, you know and I can't say that about a lot of other blockbusters you know no. uh you know, I, I I enjoy most of the Marvel movies the first time I see them. Yeah. But I'm not like, oh, I can't wait to fucking see Guardians of the Galaxy 2 again. I, how much did I miss? Yeah. Like, oh, no, I got it. I got it all. Yeah, you got it it's, all. It's all good. And I'll it watch good. it again in five years. Yeah. And I'll probably enjoy it again. But with Tenet, or with most of Nolan's movies, Interstellar, all of them, it's like, you know, oh, I really want to see it again. Yeah. I really need to see it again. Yeah. Um, And that seems to be built into the cake. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's what we were just saying before. Watch it on a watch it with a different eye on it. Yeah, you know, it's like 
you know, I think that's why we love Grant Morrison's The Invisibles because yeah. you can read that through different characters' eyes as well. Absolutely. Or any movie with a great twist, you know. Yeah. You know, watching The Usual Suspects for the second time is a profoundly different experience than watching it the first time. And yeah. I would say equally as enjoyable. What you sacrifice in the confusion of, wait, who, who is Kaiser Soze? What the fuck's going on? You watch it the second time knowing who it is. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's all there. It's yeah. all there from the beginning. It's and all that, happening. And that, that's a delightful thing. So I have a I have a big thing to throw your way. And I reckon Killian Murphy's Robert Fisher is actually the one good person in the movie. <laughs> yeah, right. So, because... First of all, how do we know we can trust uh, Sado? Because he tells us, oh, he's going to become this, that the company's going to become massive and it'll become this, you know, like this nation. And it's like, mate, you just killed Lucas Haas, like, <laughs> at the start of the film. Like, I don't know who you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're another fucking, you you're know. A, you're a multi-billionaire yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, late-stage capitalist. And Fisher is minding his own business and obviously has an awful father that has... Yeah. So I... So, so my reviewing of this, mm. I was on his side the yeah, whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I was actually thinking as you were saying that, you know, what about Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character? But the very nature of their job of going inside people's heads and planting thoughts is a diabolical act. Oh, um, right. That's inherently just awful. You know, either stealing someone's thoughts or I would say even more criminal and fucked, planting a thought in someone's head. Right. You know, I mean, and that is a very true concept, you know, that one an idea once planted, you yeah. know, can bloom and grow in very, very gnarly yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, you know, as a as a um, reformed hypochondriac, let me say, <laughs> you know, the seed of, the kernel of an idea, you know, within months, you can be, you know, in an MRI machine going, I've got cancer. And it's like, well, no, you don't. Right. But you just convince yourself that you're sick. Well, you that's, know? that's why I'm reluctant to read reviews of my shows. Mm. Because... Even, even, like, if it's someone that I really, like, I know their work mm. and they're reviewing and if they made a suggestion that, you know, I could do this better or this didn't make sense or whatever, I'd take it on board. Like John Bailey, when he would come and review my stuff in, in Melbourne, I would always read his stuff because, you know, any criticisms mm. usually felt, oh, yeah, okay, mm. I can see that. Mm. But when it's someone who doesn't know your work, doesn't, has come in, you know, does the classic review of, oh, yeah, there's uh, this many seats here and, you know, taking up Ugh. valuable space, talking about the the architecture of the room. Yeah. and But if they say something that annoys me, yeah. that's the fucking thing I'm going to get stuck with. Of course. Like an arsehole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, is, which is a fundamental flaw in you. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know. But, but it no, sticks. it's a fundamental flaw we all have. Yeah. It, it, it absolutely is. Yeah. And you then, know, and I've been criticised by people who I have no respect for as human beings, as artists, as anything. And, you know, and a week later I'll find myself muttering, you know, eh, that fucking, I can't believe they fucking said that. It's like, what, do you really care? Really? Really? But you, you just, I'm, and I'm always just scared that they'll influence my next lot of work yeah in, in, you know in in bad ways yeah so i i've had had this theory for a while that fisher is really james murdoch and his father is rupert and because you know they're flying from sydney to la and all that kind of stuff and then i re, well, i was reading he wouldn't uh, he be like he'd be lachlan murdoch he'd be the good murdoch wouldn't no he? isn't that james isn't james no, lachlan's the good murdoch oh, oh wait no no i think it's james. You're right you're yeah, right I'm yeah, sorry. yeah 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 uh 
uh, if the Murdochs are listening, you're all lovely. Um, <laughs> but uh, so then I read an interview with Killian Murphy who said that he did research on the Murdochs to really? add to the idea of living in the shadow of someone so immensely powerful. Yeah, right. Um, Pete Postlewaite's last performance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And he actually is very sick. Very sick, yeah. 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 Uh, I think we've kind of covered some of this stuff here. So if they live for 50 years together and then Mal had trouble coming out of the dream, doesn't that mean that Cobb is also mentally 70 or 80? Yeah. So he's in, like, that's, that's part of what was... You know how I was thinking maybe he's being incepted as well. It's like, like he he might still look like DiCaprio, but he's probably a drooling mess intellectually oh, absolutely. as well. Absolutely, and you know, and and I think that's probably what's uh, contributing to how harrowed and exhausted he is. You know, yeah, I'm not yet forty, and I am tired. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take as much life as I can get. Yeah, but uh, I think I was saying to you the other day, I had this realization of like, fuck, if I live to be a hundred, I'm not even. I'm not even two-fifths of the way through. Right. And that seemed to be a much more terrifying thought than the idea of checking out early. It was like, oh, man. Especially when you feel like parts of you falling apart and you're like going, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, like, uh, and I think, you know, from what I understand of getting older, you know, it either has the power or probably both, but I think it has the power to, you know. uh, It can liberate. Liberate, wisdom, all these great things. Or it has the ability to just exhaust, you know, I, 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 I was William F. Buckley. I saw an interview with William F. Buckley at the end of his life. And, you know, I think he was 80 years old or something. And they were like, you know, how do you feel? And he was just like, I'm tired. Right. I'm done. You know, and then you extrapolate that to Inception. It's like, yeah, man, fuck. You, you know, you're probably 40 when you went into this dream world with your wife. You spent yeah. 50 years there. So technically you're 90 when yeah. we see you. Yeah. You know, wonder you like just... Just give me an afternoon with my kids. Leave me alone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been great if he said that. You know, I just thought, had this thought then. It's uh, it, it seems like the team in, and you, I, I guess you get this kind of thing in heist movies, but it's like the team also sort of represents all the different aspects of Cobb as well. Mm. Like, uh, you know, Tom Hardy's the action part of him. Uh, mm. Levitt is the, uh, you know, the intellectual mm. side. There's uh, Arianda is the, 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 the feminine soul. Oh, and yeah, and the, and the technical kind of, yeah. you know, the, the, the technic, technician that he once was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what, what do you think the projection of Mal says about Cobb? I, I guess we've kind of covered that, but it's 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 really, I, I I was really fascinated with that and really think that that is because yeah. I think she was referred to as the shade in the in the advertising before the movie came. Yeah, out. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to that in the you know, like obviously I've never had a relationship that ended like that. Uh, but you know, a lot of the time when a relationship ends, you know, you can kind of see yourself as the hero of the relationship or at least the one that, you know, was faultless or blameless in, you know, what went wrong or why it ended or whatever. And then, you know, a couple of years pass and you can kind of look at the, the arc of the thing with a little bit more, um, perspective. Right. And, you know, um, and I've done that with relationships where I've looked back and gone, oh, you know what? Like... I could have been better in that way. Yeah. Well, you know, my partner said that this thing was really important and I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, and, and, and so the guilt can, you know, or at least the remorse. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and so I think Mal uh, and especially that kind of like rage that she has towards him is right. probably his own rage at his failings. Uh, as a partner, as a partner and, for and, her, and, yeah, I, and and maybe it's not all just about that evening in the hotel room where she um, commits suicide, right? Um, you know, maybe it's about the whole arc of their relationship, how he failed her in just the small everyday ways, the kind of everyday uh, cruelties that aren't yeah. malicious necessarily or intentional, but just humans rubbing up against humans, right? Like you can't not hurt each other. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it's impossible to get through life without hurting someone and, oh, yeah. it's, and it's, it's such an awful feeling isn't it when you realize in hindsight and it's <laughs> like oh god uh, and you know yeah and then you a- then you have to fight the urge to be that person who gets in touch i know we haven't spoken in nine years but i felt really bad about <laughs> those strawberries but, mate live with the guilt and be better next i've done time. i've done i've actually done it i've reached out to a uh to an ex uh was just like ah i'm really sorry i was like you know I didn't, uh, again, it wasn't cruel or malicious. It was clumsy and ham-fisted and I was, you know, in a weird place. And it was received very well. Uh, well, I haven't, I wouldn't say that I've reached out, but when I've seen someone. Mm. So I remember a, a girl that I dated for a little while just used to go on about my snoring as if it was, <laughs> and, I, and, it, and I, I got really defensive about it. And then, and then years later discovered I have sleep apnea. Yeah. And, of course, I got defensive about it because I wasn't sleeping properly because yeah, I had sleep yeah, apnea. Yeah, and so yeah. I was tetchy. Yeah. And it must have been just at the start when that was becoming something that was quite full on. Yeah. And so when I saw her, I and she was with a, a mutual friend, and I I apologised in front of the friend. And then the the mutual friend sent me a message later on saying, I don't think you realise how well that was received. And I was <laughs> like, oh, I was just like, yeah. I think she just deserved an apology because she was so right. I think it's well received when you're not looking for a particular outcome yes. or, or for, you know... Yeah, uh, I just wanted to apologise. or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. like you were right yeah. and I didn't realise and I'm sorry. Hmm. Um, so there's rumours that Nolan has softened his starts and there might be a sequel which would focus on different characters and directed by his brother this is probably scuttlebutt but this is something when did this when did this news I, I, this was from a couple of weeks ago yeah, right. before tenant came out uh-huh. do you want to see more movies set in the inception world or would you know my normal question like a tv series or and if you did do you want new characters or would you like to revisit some of the other nah, characters? I'm done. I'm good. I'm good. But for me, I'm 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 a I'm a uh, I'm a, when, when something and I get it, Inception is not for everybody. I know a lot of people think it's a hugely flawed movie. For me, it is a beautiful piece of clockwork. Yeah. Lovely. And uh I've kind of hit a point in my life where it's like, you know what? I'm good. Yeah. Like, you know, there doesn't need to be more. You know what? I feel the same way. And yeah. I don't want this as a TV series either. No. I just want it as a movie. I love it. Yeah. I just think it's, you know, it's just, it, 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 there's, for me, there's no fat on the bone. Yeah. There's not a wasted minute. Everything's clean. Everything yeah. looks fucking perfect. Yeah. And I don't, you know, maybe a sequel would be good. Maybe a TV series would be good, but it could also have not a diluting be. effect. Right. And this is great. I'm good. No, I'm, and I'm also, like, I'm, I'm done. With the characters, yeah. like I feel like I, yeah. you know, I've seen Cobb go on his journey, and it's fine. I'm and good, I, and I think by the very nature of the style of film, it is a heist film. Mm. Uh, the characters, I wouldn't say they're one or two dimensional, no, but they are archetypes. Yeah, 
And I'm not sure that knowing more about Tom Hardy and why he decided to be an actor in the dream world is going to give me any... Right. Like, I don't, it's I, fine. Yeah, it's all I don't need any more. <laughs> uh, just a few more questions. Uh, does the lack of totem toppling at the end actually mean that no one's incepting us? Because we're still talking about this movie... 10 years yeah, later. Yeah, so of course. Is, that, is that his act of inception? It kind of does a slight little wobble. It does a wobble. It? But it yeah. doesn't but we don't see it fall. Yeah. Um yeah, of course he's incepting us. I think yeah. not. Yeah, of course. That, I that think fits in with the movie about it being a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 in classic Nolan style, isn't it? The the, the uh it cuts to the title of the film before yeah. the credits. Yeah. Yeah. Inception, you've just been incepted, motherfuckers. Ah. Uh, Thank you. Really appreciate it, actually. Uh, yeah, I don't often like being incepted, but I'm glad on this. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally into it. I wish it, I wish it happened more. Uh, does Cobb earn his redemption in the end, and does he deserve it? Uh, or does it not matter? Um, look, I don't think that... At the end of the day, Cobb has... Cobb's redemption isn't a completely subjective internal thing for him because it's not yep. like he's, you know, gone and done some externalized horrible thing. The peace that he is seeking is the the the, the put laying the memory of his wife to rest, realizing that this kind of uh uh ghost that he's created is a shade of what actually existed. Yeah. And this thing that he's been obsessing over is, is not even, is not real. Yeah. And so, well, that's why he doesn't need to look back. That's the yeah, point of the movie. Exactly. And so does he deserve redemption? I don't know. Like, d- d- he's happy at the end. And so I don't, I, I don't know if it's a question of deserve or not. Cause I don't think that he's committed any egregious crime deliberately. Right. So I think the the personal redemption that he seeks is yes, it's deserved. It's in deserved the sense in that, that regard. Yeah, yeah, in that regard. Yeah. Which world is your favorite? Uh, uh hotel world. Yeah, I'm, I'm into hotel world. <laughs> I love too. Hotel world. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that that for me has got the 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 greatest moments of the film. You know, the tilting glasses. Yeah. The um, what's the maneuver they call the um. The maneuver of telling that the subject that he's in, oh a dream, yeah, yeah, you know, um, yeah, that whole sequence is. Yeah. I mean, the, the the whole thirty minute sequence or however long it is of the car going over, yeah, and you know, crisscrossing between the worlds. I still remember the first time I saw that, just yeah. like quaking. Well, that last oh bit God. goes for about an hour and a half. Yeah. Like, <laughs> fantastic! I, I couldn't believe when I got to it and I looked at the clock and I was like, Jesus! Yeah, well, the car been falling it goes for a long. really long time. Um, my final question for you: Would this movie be better if Tom Hardy had to wear a mask? That's <laughs> <laughs> no, so nice to see his handsome face uh, for he's once. So, <laughs> he's so good. He's a like everyone's great. It's yeah. his movie. He's yeah. he's like Andy Garcia in The Untouchables, where you're going, <laughs> who the fuck is that guy? I want more of that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I dream of a little larger, darling. Like, oh, yeah. he's so funny. <laughs> but I think it's I think it's perfect that it's just these little you know yeah. little grabs of him. You know, yeah. always live and wanting more. And the, the somehow you don't get a lot of them, but you get the real sense of the relationship with Arthur. Yeah, specificity and like you know, and Arthur's kind of throwing words at him and. Like there's a mutual respect, but there's also you know Eames he likes to troll gr- him. Yeah, Eames is a bit grubby and yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and also, I love that he 
is the character that is the most bemused yeah. by what's going on. Yeah. You know, he's almost kind of a quasi-audience surrogate. Yeah. Of, you know, slightly winking, going, yeah. like, this is fucking nuts. Yeah. We're going down again. But that's why when he gets angry, yeah. you know. But he's also, there's a, there's a beautiful bit of acting when he feels like he's going to miss out on what's behind the vault. And he's mm. like, oh, well, it's just really looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so some squid bits for you. Each dream sequence was given a distinct colour palette because colour is the first thing the eye reads when you enter a scene and that allows the audience to know exactly where they are mm-hmm. at any given moment, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense. Uh, the corridor... Well, wait, just, so just, let's break that down. So the hotel is like kind of a goldy... Yeah, that's kind of like yellowy. a... Yellowy. That's kind of like a Batman Begins. Yeah. And the, uh, the world... Where it's raining, it's blue, bluish, and, and white. the, the whites yeah, at great. the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the corridor was 100 feet long and was lifted 20 feet off the ground because of the cross section that was added. It was powered by two giant electric motors. Outstanding. They then placed a camera on the ground, pointed it upwards, and had a levit on wires to give him that floating look. This is something I've always wondered about. The texture of the walls were fabric, and underneath the fabric, there was a three inch layer of neoprene rubber. <laughs> because to bounce around on. yeah yeah <laughs> um levitt did all of his own stunts and the action was messy because they weren't supposed to be action heroes they're con artists and architects so some ah, of the people yeah. on the set when they were watching it were going oh this doesn't look very good and nolan was loving it because this yeah. is what it's meant to look like yeah. that's what he knew what he wanted and the messy action makes the audience feel like that is how they'd react in the situation mm. compared to like you know, like I guess superhero movies where you go, well, I, like, I can't fly. I'm mm. not superhuman. But in this, it's like, oh yeah, if I was in that dream world, I would be flailing all yeah, around as course, well. Yeah, of course, of uh, course. Cobb is the name of the suited man in Nolan's first film, Following. Mm-hmm. Who at one point says everyone has a box, and you can tell a, per- a lot about a person from their stuff. So uh, that's kind of perfect. interesting, isn't it? Yep. So here's is something interesting which I didn't know. Uh, Nolan originally envisioned the movie as a horror film. Really? Yeah. Yeah, right. same storyline? Well, he worked on the script for nine or ten years, but I wow. guess he must have been, you know. Yeah, wow. And then... I wonder uh, how that would have played out. And then like he a... applied the heist film to it, and mm. then he realised that heist films are very shallow emotionally, and that's when he added the... That's why you got the through line of sure. the redemption with the... That would be... It would be fascinating as a horror movie, going down, down, down into someone's self con- uh, subconscious. Right. Um, well, I'll that's be- what they do in Rick and Morty. They, 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 <laughs> they do the inception thing where they keep going in that guy's into that demon's head, and then they go into the, oh, yeah, they yeah. go further, and then the demon they realize that the demon was picked on as a kid. Oh, that's right, the Freddy Krueger guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. That's fucking hilarious. I would love to see a Christopher Nolan horror movie, like a full blown Hereditary type horror movie. That'd be great. Yes, like, like it was like yeah. So, like not getting into it. Because we'll we'll talk about it later, but I, my my theory is that if it if it makes the money that it's meant to make, Tenet is going to be his new three part blockbuster. Sure, sure. And so, if he makes if he does what he did with the Dark Knight trilogy, mm. and we get like a ten, we get Tenet, and then mm. we get something else, and then we get another Tenet movie, and then we get something else. Mm-hmm. It'd oh, be interesting course. to see a horror movie, wouldn't it? Because I feel I'd like love he- I'd love to see one. It's like how everyone says, you know, they'd love to see a Tarantino sci-fi movie. Right. You know? Yeah. Just uh, get a little bit, you know, do your thing, but in this genre. Yeah. That's kind of seems so, you know, against the grain of what you yeah. normally do. 
Didn't I, he? I, he wanted to make a Bond movie as well, didn't he? T- uh, Tarantino. I think so. I think yeah. I think they all have Spielberg said he wanted to and everything as well. Yeah. But um, you know, I mean, if he's, he's done a war movie, he's done a heist movie, you know, done yeah. sci-fi, superhero. There's not many uh, genres left that he's um, hasn't really explored. Musical. Musical. <laughs> the Nolan musical. I mean, in the horror in the horror realm, that the scene where Mal uh, comes at. Uh, uh, I mean, they're. Ge- I mean, yeah. genuinely terrifying. Yeah, really scary. Yeah, yeah. The the breaking of the glass. And yeah. all those noises. Yeah, 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 yeah. full on. Uh, the bistro scene, you know, where you have all the explosions, mm, where he's fantastic. They use pure pressure nitrogen to mm. create the effect of a series of explosions that mm. was then enhanced by the visual department. Yeah, I just love that. Great. <laughs> uh, you know how he likes to do real things, yeah. and then uh, I, I saw uh, Tom Cruise went and saw Tenet yeah, at the I cinema, clip, and, he, yeah. and he talked about how great it was. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't really want Nolan to work with Tom Cruise, but geez, those two assholes could really outdo themselves in trying to make something realistic. Oh, this is a, this is a movie about the sun exploding. Okay, I'll go and explode. <laughs> Let's it. go to the fucking sun. <laughs> so look, I know that uh, Tom Cruise has a profoundly questionable private life, but I fucking love that guy <laughs> hey i have to tell you the uh, mission impossible movies are uh, spectacular outstanding i think there's like the second one is not great but it's fine, it's fine. and the others are dude heaps of fun i i rewatch heaps. them every couple of years and yeah. they are just you know and it's that thing of like he's fucking doing it the guy's out of his mind oh yeah like in the last one when you saw him take the leap and you see yeah, actually where he breaks ankle, his foot his running. ankle shatters and he and gets up and keeps running crazy <laughs> fucking idiot uh johnny marr from the smiths played guitar for some of zimmer's music oh cool there's a there's a cute little thing geez that zimmer's music is still yeah. so great and the yeah. only thing that's like the only thing that's aged about it is everyone using it for their trailers. Yeah. I know everyone makes fun of that, but come on. It's yeah, but so they're great. only making fun of it because it was really good and everyone yeah. used it. Yeah. yeah. You know? Michael Caine believes Cobb isn't dreaming in the end because he's in the scene. He's never in any of the dreams because he's the guy who invented the dream. Right. So that's yeah, um, okay. Michael Caine also thinks that uh, I think uh, I was reading things. Tenet is a fucking masterpiece and his best film yet. And I, really, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. I'm just fuck. I've just it's just so good to just feel unadulterated happiness for two and a half hours <laughs> in a cinema. I had someone write to me on on Facebook going, "Tenet was a bucket of shit. Can't wait to hear your review." And I was like, "Oh well, no worries." But guess what? I've seen it four times, and you know what I did? <laughs> had a really good time every time. So for That's ten hours this year. I've been really happy. That's great. Mate, you should have heard me when I first got out and uh, Adam <laughs> Richard had gone to a session elsewhere and uh, and it was just like, I was just like, oh yeah, just having a nice chat and then I felt the adrenaline kick in and then I was like, oh, I'm going to call my mum and then I called mum and she said, how'd you go? I said, I loved it. Anyway. <laughs> Has she seen it yet? <laughs> no. Okay. No, mum's, uh, mum's, like mum's fine yeah. but she's got a weak autoimmune oh, system course, yeah. so she's just a bit... Sure, sure, sure. But also, she just doesn't really have anyone to go with uh. and like like. Mum's like mum's so funny. Like she's just like I said, we'll go with such and such, and she's like, well, they're not smart enough to go with. Like I don't want them to say something stupid and ruin the film. And I'm like, I agree with that. No, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's like four people I can go to the movies with. That's it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely. That's why I went. You know, uh, the first two times I went by myself. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm one of those yeah. people. I'm one of the four. Yeah. I'm just sitting there. This is great. Yeah, you're one of the four. I'm one of the yeah. four for me too. Um, at Nolan, at one point, wanted to create a video game set in the Inception world. Yeah, it was right. the world of video games was something he said that I've wanted to explore and I reckon Tenet feels like a video game, especially that ending as well. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Uh, we've uh, two more things. Uh, oh, there was also an Inception comic. Really? Which I, yeah, Inception, the Cobol job, and there was going to be a sequel called The Big Under. That's interesting because The Matrix did that. Yeah. Uh, they had like all these kind of um, side, uh, you know, world building things in yeah. comics and video games. Nolan's big fan of uh, The Matrix as well. Oh, come on. The Matrix is still one of the fuck it. It's Mate, so it's good. It's so good. You know what? I'm not, if, I'm, not, I'm not into reboots and blah, blah, blah. But the Matrix, uh, Matrix Four, does have my uh, does have my interest. Well, I'll be curious to know where the sisters take it now yeah. that they're sisters. And yeah. I, I think Cloud Atlas is a is a masterpiece. Really? Yeah. Okay. Have you ever watched it? I have. It didn't stick to the walls for it, me. It it took a while. Yeah. It was a movie that I went in. Yeah. Saw it. Didn't know how I felt about it, and the more I thought about it, and it was, and in a way, it's a little bit like. Inception for me. It's a movie about movies, right. and the the my key to getting into it was, I was kind of thinking the seventies detective bit was a bit shit because it looked like a fucking seventies detective TV series, and I went it's supposed to. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. And then once I kind of, and then you you know the old people is like a farce, and yeah, you, and yeah. the audacity of that film. Yeah, is, I, I appreciated the audacity, yeah. of, and it's it's strange. It's 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 one of those ones that's never really stuck, but I do think about it often. We when, when we finish our Nolan run, I'm, I'm, I've got a few things I want to pitch to you, but I'm going to say this now, and I want people to let me know if they're into it. Uh, I, I reckon we should do our space policy, sure, and we'll 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 do all sure. our sci-fi films, yeah, definitely. Uh, the last thing is, uh, so I was telling you that uh, uh, George Louis Borges' short stories uh, influenced his uh, influenced this movie. Uh, one of them was uh, the Circular Ruins which is a story about the process of creation and dreams. I don't mm. know if you've ever read it before, no. but it's it's stunning. And uh, I've already told you about the other, where he, he, as a narrator, he encounters a younger version of himself. And the secret miracle about a playwright sentenced to death who desperately wants to complete his unfinished play. And it's essentially, right. he's been captured and he's uh, the Nazis are going to kill him. And it's essentially... Him finishing, he he gets this miracle where he gets enough time to finish his play. And I won't give it away, okay. but the the miracle is you you watch it and you you read it and you'll go, fucking Nolan, <laughs> you fucking took a George Louis Borges idea and put it in. That's fucking everything's good. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, thanks for that, and so that means we we start to get into the the controversial absolutely oeuvre part yeah, of yeah, yeah. of the um, Nolan uh, filmography, and I can't wait to tell you. And I've been holding off, and I'm going to say this now, so you remember to say it to me. Uh-huh. But you're going to hear my one. I'm going to tell you the three moments uh-huh. in the Nolan whole catalog that I think are the worst moments of acting. Oh. And there, there's three moments. There's only three. Uh-huh. 
and there's and they're, they're just they're very small but each time i see them even me who refuses yeah, to hear anything you're bad, a fucking staunch believer i close my eyes really i just close my eyes on those little bits cuz i go well if i just don't see it maybe it was okay <laughs> Thank you to Rachel and Ben for being a part of today's episode. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be setting up this podcast to see us through to the end of the year and hopefully some news on when our next live show will be taking place. Things are really motoring here at Big Squid and I'm wrapped to have you along for the ride. Remember, you can check out some blogs and short stories over at my site, justinhamilton.com.au or if you'd like to make some suggestions or, I don't know, just even have a bit of a chat, come over to our Facebook page. We're there. We're hanging out. It's good people. Let's finish off with a quote from Oscar Wilde. A dreamer is one who can only find his way by moonlight, and his punishment is that he sees the dawn before the rest of the world. Until then. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps to detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.